would say yes to both of those. I've sat with our prayer team multiple times since I took over as the pastor here, and there is a lack of attendance. There is a lack of involvement in our prayer team. And we, as a body of believers, should be dependent upon prayer in every aspect of our life. Would you agree with me, church? The issue, though, I bring up for a lot more than just lack of attendance or lack of participation. I bring this up for three other reasons. I believe that corporate prayer is on par with the teaching and the preaching of God's word. It's just as important than hearing it. We, we should be praying. Praying together is a vital part and a, a key piece of opening up God's presence to work among his people. And the, the tendency, which is very, very saddened, in my eyes, it's sad that the tendency among believers, even among those in church leadership, is this, to think that prayer gatherings are just extracurriculars that you don't have to participate in. That's sad. Church leaders all across our city, our county, our state, and our nation believe that prayer gatherings in their churches are just extracurriculars. It's good to have one, but it's not important enough to join it. It's something that you brief, briefly tack on to a meeting before you get down to business. You know, there are a growing number of believers here in America alone who view prayer as optional in their life. Church, did you hear me? They, they believe prayer is optional. I want to convey to us this morning, I, I'm on a mission today to show you that God has sovereignly ordained corporate praying in church. He's sovereignly ordained such that his mighty workings increase exponentially and his purposes are accelerated when we pray together. I understand that this message is not given to minimize personal prayer. Instead, I want to show you that personal prayer alone will not result in the work of God to the degree needed for spiritual transformation in our church bodies. We need to be praying together. And now you may be sitting out there saying, well, that's a pretty bold statement, Pastor. Why would you say something like that? Well, I'm glad you asked because I have an answer. I have an answer for you this morning. I want to give us a few proofs from God's word and even a brief look at church history that establishes the desperate need for all who are believers to become a part of the prayer gatherings of our body moving forward here, in, and through this church. This morning we are going to look at scripture and it establishes something simple and profound and something stirring. And it should within us cause us to become a praying church that God uses to change our community. So I want to read to you just a few verses out of the book of Acts this morning. And it says this in verse number 1 of chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in numbers, a complaint 
by the Hellenists arose. Now I'm going to stop right there. The Hellenists were a large group of people who took the beliefs of Judaism and they tried to mesh it with the beliefs of the Greeks. They took the world and they took holiness and they tried to make them work together and it didn't work. Anyone, does that sound like the world that we live in today? The church anymore is taking that of the world and trying to mesh it with Christianity and calling it good. That's exactly what the Hellenists were doing. And it goes on to say that they had complained, and they had complained against the Hebrews, the ones who were following God. And it says, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, it it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicolaus, who was a proselyte of Antioch. And it says that they sat before the apostles and they prayed and they laid hands on them. And it said, look what happened next. They prayed, they laid hands, and then it says, and the word of God continued to what, church? Increase. And it says, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And this is God's word for us today. God, we come to you this morning, and I'm asking of you right now, Lord, to help change, shift our mind and focus on to the importance of prayer in our church. God, we can commune and communicate with you through prayer. Help us not to see prayer as an afterthought. Help us to see the importance of connecting with you both privately and personally, but on a corporate level together as we are gathered here on a weekly basis. God, show us the truths from your word and help us to make prayer a priority. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. The first thing I want us to see from this passage of scripture is that praying together was a priority. Praying together was a priority. In Acts chapter 6, you see the church of Jerusalem facing one of the very first dilemmas as 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 an established church. And this is what happens. In these days, a number of disciples were multiplying. And then there comes this complaint against the Jews. Because the widows are being overlooked. And the daily distributions is what God's word says to us. In verse number one. In daily distributions. I want to stop right there for just a moment. Because the tendency here is to automatically assume that they weren't giving them food or water. They weren't helping take care of a specific earthly need. That's not what this is talking about. The writer here, Luke, that word distribution comes from the Greek word diakonia, which has its its roots founded in the Greek word meaning ministry. It means to serve one another with love. Not specifically giving of food or, or, or drink. It is to serve another individual. And that word right there, speaking in this sense here, is that we as believers should be serving one another with our actions and with our speech. 
You guys following me? Nod your head if you're following me this morning. We are to serve one another with our actions and our speech. Meaning, if my words are not edifying, if my words are not encouraging and uplifting, don't do it. Because guess what? You're not serving your neighbor. You're not serving your wife or your child. If your actions speak to selfishness, stop doing it. Because selfishness does not serve one another. That's what's going on here in the church. And guess what? They give to prayer here in just a moment. And they're saying that prayer is the best act of service that we as Christians can display. Would you guys agree with that? And it's, it's this moment in time where there's this emphasis on people. You, you gather together over and over it says, why should we give up preaching the word to serve tables? Again, it's the same Greek word, diakonia, to serve other people. Now, I always took this verse years and years and years. I've heard this passage of scripture preached on. And I always, I always heard this, that it meant that the apostles were delegating ministry responsibilities to other people. That's what I always took this as. Well, we'll, we'll raise up seven people and we'll have them do the work. So that we can spend time in personal prayer and receive a fresh word from the Lord so that we can preach it, uh, preach it to people. And that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage here, the apostles are not referring to personal and private prayer. But instead they're talking about mobilizing people to do the work of ministry. Mobilizing. I personally cannot minister individually to every single person in this room. It's impossible for me to do that. I don't have the capacity. It is impossible for me to minister individually to every person in this community outside of this building. But I am here to equip you to do the work of ministry outside of these four walls. Go back and read Ephesians chapter 4. That's exactly what Paul talked about. You guys are coming here to be equipped to go out and do the work out there because I need help. I can't do this alone. And right here, they're talking about mobilizing the church to go out and help other people, praying together so that God's word would go forth. There's a marking out here of two ministries that churches should be a part of. And this here, this section of scripture is focused on ministering to people. Ministering to people. Not focusing on personal issues. I found in 13 years of ministry, the church tends to spend more time focusing on personal issues than we do focusing on serving people. We get complaints because someone doesn't like the color of the walls, or someone doesn't like the color of the lights that are on the stage or the carpet that's here. Personal issues, people. Is that really what's important in the grand scheme of things? Is what this building looks like. We have a, we have a responsibility as a, as a church to be praying together to see God's power in and through us here in this community. There are lost and dying people. There are people that live next door to us that go to the same job as we do that are going to hell. Do you know that every occurrence in the book of Acts, or that precedes Acts chapter 6, speaks to the apostles leading a group of people in prayer. 
Go back and read the first six chapters of the book of Acts. Acts 1.14, Acts 1.24, Acts 2.42 and 3.1 and 4.23 and 4.31 are all pictures of the apostles leading groups of people in prayer. It's not individual prayer that's going on. Not one reference point in the book of Acts is to private prayer time. The focus is on God's people praying together. So by testimony and by example, it is plain to see here that the apostles placed a high premium on the people of God praying together. They considered guiding people in corporate prayer. And it was a way of life. And it was just as critical a priority as teaching and preaching. Just as critical a priority. So prayer was a priority. The second thing I want us to see is that praying together was practiced. Praying together was practiced. You know, the apostles learned their leadership patterns from Christ. They learned their leadership patterns from Christ. If you ransack the Gospels for Jesus' teachings, in his, his small portion of ministry, you will see 37 times that Jesus speaks specifically to the topic of prayer. 37 times. And do you know that in those 37 times, 33 of them were spoken about groups of people praying together? 33 times does Jesus talk about groups of people praying together. In other words, Jesus' instructions leaned more towards people praying together than praying privately. More, more and more and more did he lean that way. Take Matthew chapter 7, for example. Matthew chapter 7 records this. It says, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open for you. Most people talk about that passage of scripture and they see it as something personalized. Jesus was not speaking to an individual person. He was speaking to an entire group of people. And he was saying, you in the plural form, if you keep asking if you, as a body, keep knocking, if you keep searching, it will be given to you as a body of believers. He's urging the church to gather together to pray. Go back to Matthew chapter 18. Again, he says, if two of you on earth agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. Two or more. Jesus could have said if anyone asks, but instead he deliberately chose to emphasize a group gathering of prayer. This focus of Jesus on more than one person praying indicates that there was a design for us as a church to pray together. So the apostles allowed for prayer to be a priority, but the apostles also put it to practice. They also put it to practice. Church, don't incriminate yourself here, but I just want to ask you a moment. How often do you put to practice prayer? How often do you put to, to practice prayer? How often do you put to practice praying 
with other people, other believers, praying with and for non-believers. How often? The next thing I want us to see this morning is that praying together was for this purpose. The book of Acts records the mighty works of God for and through his church in the early years, and he clearly connects each one to a unified corporate prayer life. More than one person. Do you know that in the beginning of Acts, we see 120 people gathered in the upper room, and it says they were praying in one accord. Meaning they were on the same page, praying for the exact same things. And guess what occurred? Pentecost. Pentecost occurred, and 3,000 people say, were saved. In an instant, in one moment, because a group of people were praying together. A group of people the disciples prayed for wisdom in knowing who should replace Judas. They were doing so together as a group. When Peter and John reported that the Sanhedrin were a threat, they gathered together and it says they cried out to God in one accord. Again, you see people gathered together for prayer. The church prayed over the seven men here in this passage who would take up church leadership positions. When James was martyred, Peter was imprisoned by Herod. And guess what? It says that they prayed to God. They prayed. When Paul himself was imprisoned with Silas, they prayed to God together. It says an earthquake occurred that led to a man being saved. Prayer. Togetherness. Now, I'm not going to sit here again. I want to I reiterate to you, I'm not disparaging personal prayer at all. You should be praying on your own. We see that in the Bible as well. Jesus got alone and prayed. Ananias prayed before he met Paul for the first time. Peter prayed when he received a vision in the book of Acts, there are things that occur in the Bible that talk about personal prayer. But the majority of God's recorded workings came when God's people prayed together. So I want to just take the next few minutes of time. And I want to look at corporate prayer throughout history. Corporate prayer throughout history. From the book of Acts up to the year 2021, corporate prayer has continued to be used by God all across the world. All across the world. There are so many examples that you can read about, about how corporate prayer was the springboard for the sweeping movements of God. I just want to share with you a few of these that I've learned about in, in school, I've, I've learned about through personal reading. The first one is in 1857. America was riding the wave of a strong economy, and as tends to be true in times of prosperity, showed a radical decrease of interest in the things of God. Does it sound like our nation currently? A radical decrease in an interest of the things of God. 
And there was a man by the name of Jeremiah Lamphere whose concern was to lead a call for prayer in New York City. He tacked up notices all over New York calling for a weekly prayer meeting every Wednesday from noon until 1 at a space that he was going to pay for and rent on, on Fulton Street. The f- first prayer meeting occurred in September of 1857 and only six people showed up. And those six people didn't even arrive until it was halfway over. The next week, the attendance jumped to 20. The numbers continued to climb week by week, but in that same month, the stock market crashed and financial panic ensued across our nation. Trouble had its humbling effect and the hearts of many turned to spiritual matters. And it was not long until 50,000 businessmen were meeting every day in this rented space to pray at noon. In less than a month, they went from 6 to 20 to 50,000 because people were praying together. By week 15, the meeting had moved from once a week to every single day. And by the year 1858, that prayer movement leaped to every major city here in America. And it became the second great awakening that we saw here in our land. And it was estimated that millions of Americans came to know Jesus Christ because people were praying for them. Think think with me. Late 1800s. 30 million people come to know Christ in less than two years. 30 million people in less than two years. And it started with prayer. Reese Howells was a Welsh coal miner. He journeyed to South Africa as a missionary in the year 1910 in response to an increasing burden from the Lord. Six weeks after arriving... He started a prayer meeting, and out of that came the sweeping work of the Holy Spirit, in which he had two revival meetings a day for the next 15 months and all day on Friday, where people would come and spend hour after hour after hour after hour praying together. Thousands of people were converted as a result. I could tell you story after story after story of how corporate prayer became the springboard for the mighty movement of God. Do you know right now the gospel is sweeping the globe at a rate that is completely unimaginable? Avery Willis was the vice president of the International Missions Board. And he reported statistically before his death that most of the people who have ever been saved in history were saved during the 20th century. That's crazy to me. He goes on to say that 70% of the total number of people who have been saved throughout world history have come to know Christ in the last 100 years. 100 years, 70% of Christians. That's astronomical amounts. But of that 70%, he said those people were saved since the year 1945. Let me boggle your mind, though, with a little bit further information as I layer on these observations. They said that 70% of those saved since 1945 were actually saved since the year 1990. 32 years ago, 70%, we had a 70% of Christianity increase here in the world. That's crazy 
That means that at the turn of the 21st century, one-third of all Christians who have ever lived were converted since the year after I was born. 32 years, and we've had an increase in Christianity in that much. Well, what does that really look like in numbers? Truly, honestly, what does that look like in numbers? Do you know in Nepal... In the year 1990, there were only 2,000 confirmed or known Christians. Do you know by the year 2021, we, they have right now over three-quarters of a million believed to be Christians in that country in 32 years. Cambodia, in the same year in 1990, claimed to have less than 600 believers. Today, in, in 2021, they're reporting almost a half million people. In 32 years, in Korea... Alone in South Korea, the country advanced from being 2% Christian to today being 40% Christian. East Africa is experiencing one of the greatest movements of God in history. In Uganda alone, the HIV and AIDS that once claimed a third of the population has decreased by almost 10% in the last 32 years because people have come to know Christ. The World Health Organization said that the country would have been completely destroyed and collapsed 20 years ago. And they're still working on converting people to Christianity because there's a love for the Lord. There was a great revival in that same country where there were seven people in attendance. And because those seven people prayed for a week, the next week 2,000 people were at the doorsteps of that church. Today, that church is one of the largest churches in Africa with 22,000 people. And they planted 150 others, all because people were praying. In every quarter of the globe, Christianity is advancing, except for four areas. Four. Do you want to know who the top of that list is? I was sharing these statistics with somebody, and I went home that day, and I was so upset because I could not believe that North America was the one at the top of that list. I didn't want to believe it. They're saying right now in the United States that Christianity is one generation away from being extinct. Because our people don't pray. Because our people don't want to see a work of God. Because our people are too lazy to get out and share why they have hope. We are so consumed with ourself. We are so consumed with our comforts. That we have forgotten a lost and dying community, country, nations. The common denominator in every one of those statistics were groups of people praying behind the scenes. Christians spending time together in prayer. If you go back and you track what God is doing in Korea and China and India and East Africa, you will see prayer meetings going on behind the scenes. 
some of which last for days. People don't even eat. They just pray. And I know what you're thinking. We don't see that kind of power here in the United States. And you're absolutely right. But it's a lack of faith, a lack of belief, and a lack of participation. I'm not talking about the crazy things that you see on TV that are set up. I'm talking about churches gathering together to pray for their schools, their teachers, their city managers, their mayors, their governors. Believe it or not, they're presidents. You don't have to agree with what our government does, but you should pray for them. God was not caught off guard by anything that's occurring in our nation. But we can pray for an intervention to occur. And so church, my challenge to you this morning is where are you going to step forward? How can you get involved in prayer in our church? I'm not saying that you have to show up every single Wednesday night and you have to be the best prayer with the most profound and intellectual words that you can come up with. I was actually just talking with somebody this morning and and they said, you know, God knows your heart when you pray. <laughs> what if you just came and sat in a room with other believers and listened to people pray? Church, what if, what if you began to pray as a family in your homes? Dads, what if you led your family in prayer? Moms, I hate to even have to say this, but if your husband doesn't, mom, are you going to do it? Church, we have to be a praying church. We can have all the head knowledge of God that we want, but if we're not a praying church, if we're not a praying church, it's for nothing. So what better way to end a service than prayer? The paths of prayer have been created for us. Old paths, new power. So church, I want to ask you to do something with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to get into small groups near the people that surround you right now. Groups of three to five. And you're not required to pray, but I'm going to ask if you would. And I'm going to come down and I'm going to join a group and we're, we're going to pray. 
I want us to pray for our, the churches in this community. I want you to pray for pastors. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for our city leaders. Pray for our new superintendent. Pray for our teachers. They're about to go back to school. Pray for our students, our schools, our governor. Even if you don't like her, pray for our governor. Church, do you know how much division there is in the church, the churches here in our community alone? Without getting into details, I will tell you, there are, there are churches that will not even sit in the same room as other churches anymore. Pastors. There are pastors that will not even sit in the same room together. And that's why people leave church. That's why people don't come to Christianity because of the divisive nature of our humanness. We need to be praying. Praying for our churches. So I'm going to ask right now, if you would, just get up. Start, start getting into groups and the people around you. And begin to pray over those things. It doesn't matter who starts the prayer. And then I'll come up in just a few minutes and I will close us. I will close.